Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed Podcast. We have a friend calling in from Florida. He is a former FBI special agent and recently released a book called True Blue. I want to welcome Mr. Stephen Friend to the show. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, man. Digging in a little bit and understanding your passion. What got you to this point in your life? It's uh, It's been an interesting nine months since my suspension from the FBI. Uh, but I think what ultimately led me to the career path uh, that brought me to the FBI uh, was just a passion for uh, for law enforcement, which I experienced as a as a regular police officer in my hometown in Savannah, Georgia. And I always had endeavored to do something in civic service and public service, uh, especially going back into you know, high school days. I uh, had two grandfathers that both served uh, in the military and, and thought that might be a career path. But unfortunately for me, physically wasn't in the cards. I'm asthmatic, so was, I was never uh, going to have that opportunity. But then looked over to the law enforcement industry and realized that I could deploy to my own community every day and come home at night. And uh, and I've always just been a straight and narrow Boy Scout type of personality, and it seemed to mesh really well uh, with with that sort of approach to the world. Uh, on top of being able to uh, communicate and and realize after uh, some time in law enforcement that it's it's a lot closer to sales than it is military. You know, you're just happen to be selling the worst product in the world. It's you're selling jail to uh, to the people you interact with. Uh, but uh, had a passion for it and uh, had uh, some aptitude at it and eventually decided to take my skills to the to the NFL of law enforcement in, at, in the FBI. And I was lucky enough to be selected in 2014. Well, when you think about this, you said something there about it's a sales. Did you what did you say? A sales pitch or it's it's a narrative. You know, it's a pocket narrative. To me, I think it's a pocket narrative based on where the money's coming from. I mean, you being a straight edge guy fulfilled your duties and and you run into the situation you ran into i mean what does that do to your psyche a little bit you know being such a a loyal guy in the fbi it definitely uh, calls into question everything that you've devoted a lot of a lot of time to i mean i traveled a lot i missed a lot of of family time uh you know my my second son was born and i had to leave the hospital and go to court. So there was uh, some sacrifices on, on my part and my family's part, and it was, it was very disappointing. Uh, but I come to characterize my view on law enforcement as being a system idealist. And I think people who go into that sort of view, the, the, the system that we, we want to have operating and, and is a just and civil society uh, as w- w- what we're charged with defending. And I'm a system idealist. So people who want to break the law and, and hurt others, they're system disruptors. And I think it's the, the duty of, of the police or, you know, whatever level that you're at to protect the community from those system disruptors. Uh, but when I sort of got exposed to what's been going on at the FBI and what I eventually brought my concerns out about, uh, it was apparent to me that the FBI has evolved into the system disruptor. And, and I took an oath to, uh, protect our constitution, which is the rule book. And 
If the FBI is going to operate outside of that, it is incumbent on me to throw the flag and say that what we're doing is wrong and I have a duty to uphold here. And if that means I have to stand against the very organization that uh, signs my paychecks, then uh, that's going to be the, the path I have to choose. When you think about law enforcement and, and, and what their agenda is, and it's it's really to, it's almost like an algorithm. You know, an algorithm is set up to create balance on a platform, you know, based on their agenda. And when that balance gets out of whack, I mean, it, it causes a lot of issues. Why do you think there's been such an unbalance in in law enforcement and in this day and time? I can speak to the FBI, and I think there's there's two major causes. One is more of a, a meta cause when it, it track gets back to its history. And I'm a history buff. The FBI was originated, it, it's sort of an a-constitutional agency that it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. It was begun as the Bureau of Investigations. And then uh, once it was already fully operational, uh, Congress backdated some legislation to authorize it. And I think that the work that it did in the early days as an agency ingratiated itself to the American population and built this image of a group that was charged with defending the, the Constitution and the continuity of government because the bad guys in those days were the communists and the FBI went after communists. But I think that you can make a very strong case that the FBI is not about protecting our continuity of government or our constitution, but it's about preserving status quo. And because the ruling authorities in those days were anti-communist, the FBI said, how high, sir? And then you move forward and, and you can make the case that uh, you know, however way, way you fell on the Vietnam War, but the FBI went after draft dodgers because the status quo said that those are the enemy. And the into the 60s civil rights movement, FBI, Cointel Pro went after Martin Luther King and actually sent him a letter to encourage him to kill himself. And you can work your way all the way through history into our current century that we are when national security was highlighted after September 11th. And, and the FBI was charged with this huge responsibility of preventing a September 11th never again uh, on our soil. And, and that is not a, a achievable task uh, in a free society. So the FBI was looking for ter terrorist threats that our military, thankfully, had stomped down overseas. But it's a self-looking ice cream cone that is federal government and has to justify its existence. So have to look for targets. And that evolved into homegrown violent extremists. And those were individuals who were new citizens to the country or first generation that might have sympathies with a a foreign threat like an al-Qaeda. And once that threat was mitigated, the FBI still needed to justify its existence again and preserve the status quo. And it is now uh, going after what it labels domestic violent extremism. Uh, but if you dig into that terminology and you look at the priorities of the counterterrorism division in the FBI, that is people who are labeled as being anti-government. And uh, that is just, in, if, you, if you want to ask about the DNA of, the, of, of America, being anti-government is essentially what we're founded on. Uh, but because our, our leaders are now progressively left wing uh, and view big government as the uh, the solution and the goal, the FBI has been turned against those people and they've been labeled as the threat. And that's that's a long history lesson, but uh, I think it's relevant. And, and, and then the second portion of is, is a little bit more recent, and uh, that is integrated program management, IPM which is a quota system that the FBI has been operating under for the last 10 years. Much like a ticket book is for a traffic cop, the FBI has to meet quotas. And that is for number of cases it opens, the number of arrests it makes, the specific tools that it uses. Uh, they're all uh, put out as a uh, arbitrary statistic that must be attained by all the field offices every single year. 
uh, and people tend to work smarter, not harder, and juke the stats, but they will. And that is very inconsistent with what you, we want from our law enforcement. We want the crime, we want the police to bring crime down. But now the FBI has a perverse incentive to bring the crime stats up. Uh, and as a result of that, we're seeing uh, individuals become persecuted. Uh, that is, is not in keeping with, with the, uh, the oath that I swore to uphold. And uh, the grossest part of it is that it's not only tied to the budget for the agency, but it's tied to compensation for senior executives within the agency. They actually pocket money because their subordinates open cases on individuals. Well, when you think about when you think about money and and what these guys are making, I mean, if you have some morals uh, and you go home, you have a family, and you, you you live a normal life. I mean, how much money is enough where you know the morals don't matter? You know, I mean, it's just. Just are we forgetting about, you know, right and wrong and just because of money? I think there's a human nature aspect to it uh, that, you know, you look at through history at the, the police battalion 101 that uh, went from just being average guys to executing Jewish women and babies uh, after it was in a slowly boiled frog during the 40s. I think that there's an element of I'm just following orders and uh, I have to do this to, to feed my family. Uh, and that is a, a gross way of looking at things, because certainly in the FBI, uh, I don't I don't think anybody should join in law enforcement or join government with the intention of of being rich. It's it's public service. But because the uh, the salaries have been elevated, I think people kind of live high on the hog and lifestyle creep uh, comes in and uh, and folks eventually wrap their head and justify doing things that are inconsistent with their value system by saying, well, I have to do this to feed my children. And um, well, one, that's just inaccurate. There's, there's uh, a lot of other work opportunities. And if you work for the FBI, you have a pretty strong resume, I would imagine. You, you have a clear criminal history and uh, and that, that feather in your cap, you should be able to find gainful employment elsewhere. I think at the end of it all, I have two children. And uh, you know, I, I said the other night, I'd rather ra raise two hungry children than two morally bankrupt children. Um, but unfortunately, not enough people currently share my sentiment. So the word whistleblower is a, you know, it's a it's a hot buzzword you hear. And when you were, you know, you're on this journey, you're in the FBI and you when you started recognizing details and information that wasn't right to you, what information at what point? took you to a point of saying, hey, this is enough. I can't do this. I got to stand up for myself and, and what I believe in. When, you know, what was the information and, and, and when did that happen for you? Well, I've been sort of criticized as being a self-styled whistleblower, but uh, just I, I accidentally almost fell into this. And it's not I'm not self-styled whistleblower. I am by letter of the law just because I did things the right way uh, almost accidentally. I had concerns and, uh, you know, I, I'll get into what they were, but uh, the law for whistleblowers is 5 U.S.C. 2303. And it essentially says that if a federal employee has a uh, concern, a reasonable concern about waste, fraud, abuse or risk to the public safety, they can bring that information forward to their supervisors, to uh, the inspector general, to special counsel, to members of Congress. Uh, and, and they are, they will receive protection and they're against retaliation for that. It doesn't say you have to be right. It just says you have to be reasonable. So for me, uh, working in Daytona Beach, uh, there were some January 6th cases that I saw, 
Uh, and it was immediately apparent to me, having uh, brought my my experience on working on on Indian reservations and child pornography cases uh, through my first seven years, I'd gotten a lot of repetitions on the way the FBI's rulebook works for investigating cases. And it was very apparent to me that the FBI is departing from the way that it manages cases and should manage cases. Uh, and uh, politics all left aside on what you think happened on January 6th. I took it on good faith that those were righteous prosecutions and that I was inheriting as I got moved over to work on the Joint Terrorism Task Force in my office. Uh, and I was concerned that because we had departed from the rules, that might justify a righteous prosecution of somebody who had committed a crime. It has nothing to do with, as I've been characterized as being a, a sympathetic uh, person to, to uh, a militia, to an Oath Keeper group or a Proud Boys group or anybody that was there. Um, I just removed politics entirely from it, said, if this person deserves to be prosecuted, we have to be buttoned up when we do it. I don't care about the success rate in the District of Columbia for prosecuting January 6th subjects. If the case has my name on it, it must be buttoned up to the best extent because I am a professional law enforcement officer and that's the way we should do things. We do things the right way. Uh, but the way that the FBI has run those cases, the incident should be one case with lots of subjects, but instead a decision was made to open a separate case for every single person and spread those cases around the country to wherever the subject lived. So if they were in Daytona Beach and they happened to be at the Capitol on January 6, 2021, and they were being investigated, uh, those cases were assigned to my offices and we were made the case managers for those cases. And we were, uh, in theory, supposed to have all investigatory authority to bring that case forward as we saw fit. But that is not what's happening. There is a task force in Washington, D.C. that sends out orders and, uh, and we have to obey those. And that is a departure from the rules that the FBI should be turning over to defendants. Uh, I mean, if, if I use the wrong color evidence tape, that's a departure that I have to document. And we're not documenting that. And the reason we're not documenting that is pretty political. And that is for the FBI to say we have thousands of domestic terrorism cases when, in fact, it's all spun off of trespassing charges from the Capitol on January 6th. And they've used it for the last three years to juke the stats and, and manipulate uh, the way that Americans view the threat of domestic terrorism in the country. And secondarily, uh, I believe that there was a risk to the public safety. We were going to be arresting an individual, uh, multiple individuals. Some were accused of misdemeanors, and we were going to use large-scale arrest operations with dozens of agents. And uh, another individual who's accused of felony, that SWAT was going to be used to uh, bring him into custody, even though he had pledged to be cooperative with the FBI. And I, I just viewed my uh, role there as being the guy in the room the day before Ruby Ridge or Waco. And we can Monday morning quarterback those incidents all day long. Uh, and people will say, if I'd been there, I would have said, hey, what we're doing is wrong. We need to not be so aggressive. Well, that's that was my position that I, I felt that I was in and that I, I said, I, we're lucky so far that nobody's gotten hurt doing this. This is completely unnecessary. We can make a phone call to this individual and ask him to surrender. He's already said that he will cooperate. Uh, but the uh, FBI has weaponized the process. It's made the process of the punishment for so many people that are associated with January 6th. And uh, that's just not what I signed up to do. But when you look at political figures, one side has lawyers, the other side has lawyers. And if they have a battle plan or whatever it is, a direction and strategy in place, I would think at that level, with the amount of lawyers they have around around them, would they not have all this detail uh, of what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, based on the schedule? 
do they, you know, the, the political sides, do they not try to cover themselves, you know, legally what these lawyers are telling them? I mean, do they really, really get that far out of line where where these narratives are being created? It's an extreme issue. Or does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? Because yes. they have to be prepared. They're lawyered up on both sides. So I just, what, where does that get out of whack? Well, historically, uh, and, and that's what you want. I mean, well, the FBI works, works hand in glove with the Department of Justice. And uh, I believe it was even revealed recently that the the uh, agent who oversaw the Unabomber case, because he, uh, Ted Kaczynski is in the news having passed away this week, he was pushed, had received quite a bit of pushback from the Department of Justice to the point where they almost wanted to let Kaczynski walk because those lawyers are so worried. They want the case locked down. They want it ready to be beyond a reasonable doubt convicted even in the very early stages where you're just dealing with probable cause, which is a far lower threshold uh, to get a search warrant or an arrest warrant. Uh, but that has been uh, thrown away when it comes to January 6th. It's, it's been thrown away uh, specifically to that case. I mean, you can look at the civil unrest that we had across the country in 2020, where there was billions of dollars of damage, including damage to federal property. And individuals were not prosecuted with the zeal or the gusto that we're seeing with January 6th. And, and when I brought up those comparisons, um, I was told that that's because this is an unprecedented event and uh, we're going to leave no stone unturned and we're going to go after those people who tried to seize our democracy. Uh, and that is a quote. And that is politically charged language that is coming from senior executives within the FBI that are wholly given over to a worldview uh, where they view uh, half the country as being a potential violent domestic extremist. And that is not in keeping with the mission that uh, the FBI is charged to do, which is to maintain law and order. And instead, it's contributing to this boiling pot that we have of political rhetoric in the country. And it's my great fear that uh, the FBI is going to be the cause of further violence as a result of how it's characterized a significant portion of the conversation. Um, you and I can have a conversation. We might disagree. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Any array of issues, we'll say tax rates. Uh, but we'll sit down and have a conversation like we're having now. We'll sit down at my kitchen table and we'll talk about it. But you will never sit across the kitchen table from me if you think I have a bomb strapped to myself because I'm a terrorist. And that is what the FBI has done to half the country. So it's an extreme, extreme narrative. I mean, do you think Trump disrupts people the wrong way? Do you think it's his personality? I, I think there's definitely a grading aspect to the way he, he presents himself and the way he speaks. And, and, and that's just his persona. And uh, there's people that love it and people that hate it. And 
Uh, he's a unique character in this country that uh, came came up. Uh, you know, obviously he was a celebrity way before, but uh, on the political end, uh, really in 2015 is when it began. And I have my own actual theory too that I think that nobody's ever thrown out there, and I, I kind of chuckle at it. That red hat is something that actually symbolized a a character and a movement on the political right in this country. And and there really never been an iconic image that in a crowd of people, you saw that red and you know what it means. And the, mm-hmm. and the, the right in this country has never really advertised their, their, their politics like that before. They're always just the guy who goes to the gap and has a button up and just looks like a regular guy like me, right? And just, you, mm-hmm. you don't pay him any, any mind as you walk past him. Uh, whereas the political left in this country, they advertise their beliefs. They're the ones that, that wear the t-shirts that have their messages and they have the, the bold colored hair and, and the, the huge bumper stickers. And, uh, and I think they really resented that's their turf. They thought, no, we get to, we get to advertise. You don't, you don't get to make billboards like that. Um, and I think that, uh, because of the character and then also the actual, uh, ability to advertise your support for him, it just hit another level of folks. You think about personalities and, and how certain people may respond to an extreme narrative, right? And, and I think sometimes political parties know that and they use that to their advantage, which is unhuman because I, I don't think we should define anybody um, that's a human being by their political party. Back in the day, my grandfather, he was uh, in the Lions Club, blue collar, nine to five guy, you know, in, in the South. And, and back then it was a, a Democrat, conservative Democrat. And now you look and that same personality is a Republican, just a, a rationale I came up with. And I'm like, all right, who's got the most money? to push, you know, their propaganda. And it was always thought the Republicans in the Northeast were, they were Republican, you know, in the Northeast. Uh, Because my my dad was from New Jersey. My mom was from the South. So when you start talking about the NRA pushing their agenda, if you look at it, the NRA can't sell a lot of guns in the Northeast. So 20 years later, they find the area of the country, they, they sell a lot of guns. Everybody turns Republican. I mean, I don't know. Do you think we're... We're being manipulated by the system to that extreme in a way. And is there any truth to anything like that? There's a, there's a natural ebb and flow to political partisanship in this country. I mean, uh, tell that to the Whig Party. You know, it went, went the way of the dodo bird after the, uh, the 1860 election. Uh, so I think that as time goes, they, the, each political party, they're, they're a vessel to elect members, their members to political office. Uh, they put their finger in the air and they see where the political winds are going and they adapt and uh, shape their message to the electorate in order to get candidates elected to office. I think that uh, as we're, we're coming up on where we stand now, uh, there, yes, there are people that used to be Democrats that uh, maybe their, their, their political worldview never changed uh, and, and now find themselves in the Republican camp or vice versa. And I think that also has a lot to do with what the focus is on and and. Now more than ever, there's the uh, the old talking points of economics um, that were so robust and big in the 80s, uh, and then the the threat that the Soviet Union played during the Cold War and the need to to build up the military because of the the, the battlefield, if you will, the political battlefield has changed so much. Now we have culture war as being something that people want to talk about, and you, and you might be a, a Democrat-minded uh, person economically. You you might say, hey, you know, I, I want my, my, I belong to a union, and I want you to protect my job. 
And that was a traditional blue dog Democrat. And uh, now, because immigration has has taken a lot of these jobs away and, and big tech has eliminated a lot of jobs, uh, those people are kind of left with, well, what am I sticking around with this party for? I don't agree with the, the social aspect of it. And um, I'm going go to go move over to a different party. And, and that's mm-hmm. just the way they do it. And I think that the, the parties are smart to for, for their own existence, to, to make sure that their own, they're relevant. They, they constantly play to what uh, is going to keep them in the news and keep the, the donations slowing in. Uh, and um, I think with the amount of money that was transferred from uh, small small spenders and then small businesses to big corporations now, we are increasingly uh, being dictated to by large corporations uh, as they message through the, the political process. And I, I try to look at things right or wrong. I mean, I just think, I don't know, I just think there's too many choices out there. For me personally, I don't know where to go because you look at things right or wrong. You, you know, you look at follow the money situations and so forth. I mean, do you think a two-party system works today in society or is this, we need to try to find another way? I think there's a a uh, you have a, you have a utopia. We all have a utopia in our, our mind, and we have the uh, a default setting, and then we just have to have be, come to a recognition of that's not the facts on the ground. Uh, so my default setting is to be extremely live and let live. Uh, I guess libertine in my mindset. Just if it doesn't pick my pocket or break my leg, it makes no difference to me. I can live next door to anybody as long as you know he he, he mows his lawn. Uh, we can get along just fine. Uh, but I think unfortunately. Uh, there's a growing worldview in this country uh, and around the globe, actually, where uh, this perspective is well, that which not uh, that is not required is banned. And that is an irreconcilable worldview with a libertine worldview, because I can't live next door to the guy who says, do what I say or, or, or don't do whatever I say you're not allowed to do. And I just say, hey, you do you, I do me. Uh, because it's no different than you know, coming to a metaphorical gunfight where one side has a gun and the other side has a note from mom that says, you're not allowed to shoot me. You're going to lose that. Gu- that second guy's going to lose that gunfight every single time. So whatever position you're in and you talk about these narratives, this, that's where that's where things are. You're, you're taking advantage of because they know the ebb and flow of the decision, right? And then they play to those decisions and and maximize that position, which is completely wrong and based on money, which more people should understand. It's, It's just for me, it's like, how do we get more people to understand each other better and realize we're all human beings? You may have different views. You may stand on one side or the other side, but at the end of the day, I mean, you can look at how things have deteriorated, you know, I mean, look at, you know, the position you were put in as a whistleblower and, and having to come out and do what you did to stand up for what's right. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. And it's almost like the truth, the truth anymore is not the truth. And people don't like the truth. What do you, what do you think about people not liking the truth? I, I think it's uh people are kind of like to hear the, the, the truth that backs up their preexisting notions. Uh, and, um, you know, in my experience, when I pushed back on people within the FBI, there were some folks that were genuinely surprised that I would risk my career. I mean, I was told, hey, you have a great reputation. You got a great career. How do you why would you do this? Uh, because, you know, they didn't view the oath of office as being anything greater than just clicking agree on a iPhone user agreement. And uh, that's unfortunate for you know, for our country as, as it presently exists. And, and then once I became uh, more outspoken and in the public sphere, uh, I've only had outreach from, 
most, I mean, the vast, vast majority of, of outreach that I've gotten is from the political right. Um, because I think that, uh, you know, they, they view the targeting that the FBI has now, um, you know, turned its, its laser beams on them. It's, it's spotlight on them. Um, and, uh, they want to get that message out there. And I'm, I'm a great vessel for that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the, the left is opposed to just giving me an honest hearing. And, uh, and there are from some exceptions, uh, you know, Matt, Matt Taibbi and Michael uh, Schoenberger were, uh, were very great to me and, uh, and, and honest journalists. And they've, they've been uh, exposed as being honest journalists as opposed to others who uh, were just message first. Um, you know, I had a few conversations with members of mainstream media and they were uninterested in anything that I had to say that you know, and, and I brought to them not because I have a political agenda, but because I have a genuine concern for their safety. There's just, is anybody else? We could all become victims here. Uh, and then that even flowed through when I testified in front of Congress. Uh, you know, I was there fully prepared to present information to all congressmen because I want to see reforms within uh, the DOJ, within the FBI. Uh, but they were content to stand up there and make some, some pretty, uh, Pretty gross allegations about my my character and about my patriotism, which uh, you know I, I couldn't do anything other than sit there like a schoolchild and, and accept. When we talk about the book, and the title of the book is "True Blue: My Journey from a Beat Cop to Suspended FBI Whistleblower." What do you want people to get out of the book? I know we've touched on some of these scenarios in this conversation. What comes from the heart that you really, really want to hear a response from the book. I want people to know that there's not a, there's not a political agenda here. Uh, this is all about transparency. This is what is going on in your government on a day-to-day -day basis. And uh, as a result of that, uh, people have been victimized to a large extent. I mean, you have people that are currently in jail right now and have been for a long time and shouldn't be. And I hope that that galvanizes a, a response from the elected from the electorate that they will push the people that they've put in office to to make the necessary reforms, uh, and I hope that uh, that people are willing to just give it it give it its day and, and realize that you know I, I happen to this happened to me in my career it, it crossed the path that I was on uh, and I threw the flag it it could have been a completely different case a completely different circumstance but when I signed up to be in the FBI. I signed up to do the job of an FBI agent. That job at that moment was to throw that flag. So I did it. And it, it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, a political mindset or, or sympathy for one way or another. And I expressed it. And I think that it's exposed in this book, you know, and, and the FBI has exposed itself in the way it's treated me in the days after my suspension. Uh, and, uh, as well as after I resigned and it exposed itself uh, in its treatment of this book where it insisted, the agency insisted that I redact essentially all relevant portions of this book uh, in order to have it published. And uh, I refuse to do that. It's completely unredacted. It has full transcripts of meetings that I had with FBI executives where they said things to me to the uh, effect of, uh, you say you have an oath, but you have a duty to the FBI and you have to do what we tell you to do. Uh, and I think that should disturb anybody, no matter who you vote for on election day. And this world, a lot of businesses, a lot of corporations, obviously the government, they forgot who's paying the bills. I mean, you got to remember that the people are paying the bills. 
And if we can't hold people accountable for that, that's all, everything in a, you know, in a box. If you have a position, just remember, or a political position or whatever, you run a corporation, you got to remember who's paying the bills. And, and I think we've gotten away from that for some reason. And the last question I have is family, your, your mom and dad, because I think about my parents, you know, my parents are in their seventies, you know, and they, they're good people. They lived a good life, a perfect life, but they, they had an understanding of narrative. How did your parents respond to you when, as you go through this, be, you know, knowing the history of your, your career? Well, they've been very supportive. Uh, you know, I, um, I've always been close to my family, um, but uh, it's, we've grown far closer in the, in the interim. I mean, those, those weekly calls home to mom and dad that, uh, you know, everybody, I think kind of falls into the habit of, uh, they've become almost daily. And uh, they're they're excited that you know, that the the principles that they instilled in me and that I've hoped to to bring to my children uh, actually were exemplified in 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 my actions. Uh, you know, my dad my dad always preached things to me like you know when you score a touchdown you don't spike the football because you act like you've been there before. You do things the right way for the right reasons, and uh, and that's that's where I that's what was my goal when when I did that. And, and my mom was always big on. I don't care what you did. Just be honest with me and I will run through a wall for you. Uh, and I will fight for, for you against any bullies. And uh, I've always been honest and I've always fought against bullies, which is why I got into law enforcement. I think criminals are bullies. And I think the FBI has now evolved into a bully and I will fight back against them. So uh, they've been extremely proud and, and, and supportive to me, which is, uh, is very valuable to me. And then, and then my wife, uh, she's been a rock, you know, after, uh, I was suspended, we, there's definitely some turmoil uh, in our lives and she's, uh, she's taken those blows with me along the way, the whole way. Uh, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do what I do now without her support and, uh, running, running our family forward. And, and, and uh, I think as, as the seas and the, and the waves uh, tend to, to settle down a little bit more. Uh, I, I know she'll be grateful for that, but uh, her demeanor has never changed and she's been, uh, she's been great. Nice. And the center for renewing America, that's who you're working for now. What are working with now? What is that? What's the agenda? And what's that all about? Yeah. So uh, center for renewing America, which is the, the brainchild of Russ vote. He was the director of the office of management and budget uh, during the Trump administration. And uh, it is focused on uh, reining in the woke and weaponized government that we are seeing on display on a nearly daily basis. And they had a, uh, an opening for a fellowship to advise on domestic in, uh, intelligence and security services. And I felt that I fit the bill really nicely. So I actually applied for the position, interviewed, submitted some writing samples, uh, and was offered a position while on unpaid indefinite suspension from the FBI. So when I asked the FBI for permission, they rejected that as part of their retaliation. They, they try to essentially starve you out financially. Uh, so I eventually resigned from the FBI to accept this position where I'm uh, helping to, uh, to create work products and, and policy guidance for our elected officials in the hopes that they will take those those measures to heart when it pertain, as it pertains to the FBI. Uh, you know, I certainly have bring that background in and I know uh, where the problems are. And I'm hoping that they will take those to not just the Select Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government that uh, Jim Jordan is heading up, which I testified in front of, but also just the, the rank and file membership uh, within the House of Representatives that uh, maybe we can to rein in this FBI um, before it essentially just has to go the way of the dodo bird and we have to rethink the way we do federal law enforcement. Well, Stephen, I, I appreciate you coming on the show and there's nothing wrong by doing the right thing. 
And I, I think right or wrong should be identified in society, no matter what political party you're on. And hopefully, you know, people like you are, are creating a turning point to get a better balance in the system and, you know, moving forward. So appreciate you coming on. Appreciate the, the conversation. And everybody needs to check out the book. True Blue, my journey from beat cop to suspended FBI whistleblower. I think the book should do well. Been on pre-sale for a number of months. Um, and, uh, you know, as I, I know I was getting a whole bunch of pictures sent to me online from people who had it delivered. So it, Amazon's been spot on delivering it. Uh, it's actually, it, it, it's sort of a surreal experience. I never envisioned writing a book, but uh, I'm glad I got the, uh, the information down on paper. And you can find the book anywhere, any outlets, Amazon, so Correct. Forth. Correct. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, you know, all the, all the regular spots. It's, uh, been published by Postal Press, who uh, is a significant publisher. You know, they, they published Miranda Devine's, uh, laptop from Hell Books. So it's not self-published. I was not going to chance that. Uh, I really wanted the professionals to help me out on it. Well, this has been Stephen Friend and I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. 